and to incorporate a new kind of transparency. Weekday evenings at 6.30 here on Radio Catskill. Good evening and welcome to the local edition. News and information keeping you connected. Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole, broadcasting live from Radio Catskills Studios in Liberty, New York. And coming up, what a local author can tell us about love. And what Sullivan County residents need to know about foster care. First, we're going to start by picking up on a story that we touched on a couple of times last week, starting with uh, Derek Kirk, editor for the Sullivan County Democrat, uh, talking to us last Monday evening, reporting on the previous week's uh, snow. I think it was Tuesday before last. We had the first real accumulating snow of the season. And uh, what Derek uh, reported was that there were at least 18 to 24 motor vehicle accidents in the area in Sullivan County. Uh, in conjunction with that snowstorm. So uh, today, to follow up on that, I decided to uh, reach out to the commissioner of Sullivan County's Division of Emergency Services, and uh, that's Scott Schulte, to talk about what it is that they want folks to know in terms of winter driving. And uh, here's what he had to say, starting uh, with reflections on that storm uh, last week. I think we were a little surprised at the intensity of that snow squall that occurred um, I know that certainly our DPW and our sheriff's office and all of our public safety partners were aware that there was a potential for some snow in the area, but I don't think anybody forecast it to be quite as uh, as dramatic as it was in such a brief period of time. We did see a number of rollover motor vehicle accidents as a result. Um, so I just think it's important that we all kind of keep in mind that at this time of the year, the weather certainly in Sullivan County can change without a um, without much notice. If we can, we want to stay home or stay off the roads whenever possible. If whatever we're doing is uh, something that can wait or isn't completely critical um, to stay home where possible and uh, where it's not possible to really be mindful of, of our slow approach to uh, inclement weather roadways, um, particularly when we're in areas that have high elevation um, or if we're going up inclines and de- declines on highways and back roads. Um, It's also important that we just have a level of preparedness in mind, that we keep uh, warm clothes and, you know, relevant safety gear in our car, flashlights, uh, well-charged cell phones, things like that. We're talking about what what people need to keep in mind, uh, you know, when they're out there on the roads this winter. I'm wondering what you have front of mind uh, for your division and the people under you in, in public safety uh, in, in heading into this winter season, what, what concerns do you have? What's the kind of work that you folks need to do? The, the biggest thing for all of us, I think, is, um, you know, we, I think we've become, certainly all of my partners in Sullivan County and, and myself as a new person, we've become over the years kind of experts at doing more with less. Um, we don't have unlimited resources. Uh, we wish we did because we know that the work that public safety does uh, for the citizens of Sullivan County is critical Um, But with what we do have, you know, we try to be mindful about prioritizing and triaging where we allocate resources. So I know people can become frustrated where they don't see a plow truck or a patrol car or a fire truck or an ambulance where they think one is needed. Um, But they 
um, can rest assured that that we are all doing our best to to get to the most critical places um, in in the safest and, and fastest uh, time frame. But uh, you know, just understand that. Uh, the division of public works is a huge division. Those folks are, are phenomenal at what they do, but they're more than just a highway department. They're not uh, exclusively, you know, plowing roads. They're they're fixing bridges. They're they're bu- uh, building structures. They're doing an immense amount of critical infrastructure work. So, um, you know, keep that in mind. Um, same thing with all of our law enforcement partners. There, you know, they have all of their day to day law enforcement responsibilities in addition to responding to car accidents and and assisting with traffic control and things like that. So, um, you know, just understand that when you approach it, either a, an emergency scene or a uh, dangerous weather area, just slow down, um, kind of be on the lookout for first responders, be aware that they, they may be in low-lit areas or that they even their appearance may be um, hidden by uh, a high number of strobe lights and emergency warning lights. So just slow down, take your time, and be mindful. Good advice uh, all year round, but especially when there's inclement weather. Uh, and I was wondering while we had you, is there anything else that you want folks to know? Um, nothing that uh, on the top of my mind that that's uh, kind of out of the, out of the ordinary. But um, you know, just as things evolve, both locally, um, statewide, and nationally, um, we start to see some incidents popping up here and there. Recently, uh, some uh, kind of generic bomb threats occurred at schools throughout the country, um, you know, events that occur um, overseas that may have implications here in the United States and, and locally in Sullivan County. Um, just know that um, public safety as a division and as an industry are all working together to, to keep those things uh, in our minds and to do what we can here to protect Sullivan County residents. Um, and we're, you know, we're working very diligently towards that end. Um, and any information that the public may have that could help us um, anything that they're aware of, any concerns they have, any needs that they have, to please reach out because we don't want to uh, overlook or miss a need anywhere in the county just because we weren't aware of it. You know, that's a good thing to point out. And you mentioned, you know, things that are going on overseas. We're all aware of the conflict uh, in Gaza and Israel. And we have a very large Jewish and Orthodox Jewish population here in Sullivan County. Are, is your division communicating with, networking with uh, those Orthodox Jewish communities uh, at this time to, to make sure they feel safe? We are. We, uh, we're working very closely with our uh, liaisons uh, in, in that uh, community daily. They, uh, they have a tremendous uh, close relationship with us. Um, and they're really at the forefront of, of, of doing what they can to keep us aware to protect broader Sullivan County, not just their community. So we have a, a very, very close relationship. We talk every day um, and we, we work together to brainstorm and come up with the best possible approaches to a, to a variety of different threats. So I'm very appreciative for, the, for their assistance in that area. Okay, and I'll just reiterate what you'd said before. Like if, if people have any information or is there any concerns that they got, they should be letting you know. Yeah, reach out to the sheriff's office. Um, if you uh, see a deputy um, and you and you want to uh, give them a heads up in person, they would appreciate that. If you want to call the sheriff's office, if you want to call the Division of Public Safety, um, 845-807-0450 um, is the uh, county manager's office. Anyone in, in, in county government would be more than happy to do anything we can. Pass along that information to them and they can get it to us. All right, Scott Schulte, Commissioner for Sullivan County's Division of Public Safety. I want to thank you for taking the time to go over all this uh, with us today. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure.
And this is the local edition. I spoke with uh, Scott Schulte earlier this afternoon. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it fits in with our usual Monday routine of checking in with Sullivan County, which is what we're going to continue with in our next interview here. Sullivan County also has a demand for foster parents. And uh, that demand is growing. It has grown significantly. And our own Patricio Rabayo spoke to Lilani Voitland, the director of services for Sullivan County, on how great the need is and what folks can do to get involved. She starts off discussing how many children are in foster care in Sullivan County right now. Currently, we have a little bit over 100, about 105, 106, and that's an increase for us. We have been seeing a slight increase in the amount of children coming into care because for a bit earlier this year, we were able to be just under 100 children in care. So like I said, we have seen a bit of an uptick in the number of children coming in. Being a foster parent has its challenges, obviously, but what are specific needs or challenges have you observed in Sullivan County concerning foster care? The challenges that we have observed is we have, we're seeing through opiate crisis here in the county that we have more and more children coming into care due to the parents' substance abuse and the children needing to be in a safe place while their parents work through those issues until the children can return home. So part of that is, is that means we have sibling groups coming in and no way to be able to put three, four, five children in one foster home together. So that has created significant barriers because we have very few families that can foster large sibling groups or that are willing. We also have seen an increase in children that have medical needs as well as teenagers, which everybody just finds pretty scary. So that has also made it difficult to find homes. And when we don't have homes, that means children have to get placed outside of the area, which for a child who is experiencing this kind of hardships right now, that makes it very difficult to be away from their school and their community. Absolutely. On top of being in a foster care program, now going to a new environment, a new place to live, I can only imagine... You are looking for foster parents. They said there is a great need. Can you walk us through the process of becoming a foster parent? Yes. So the process of becoming the foster parent is not as overwhelming as one might think. So when you are interested, you give us a call, and I'll provide you guys with the phone number as well in a bit. You give us a call, and what we do is we set up a time to either meet with you in person or have you attend a group informational meeting online or in person where we explain all of the qualifications. So somebody might think, oh, I can't become a foster parent because I'm not married. No, you don't need to be married. It could be a single parent. Somebody might think I can't become a foster parent because I don't own my home. Nope, that's not an issue either. You don't need to own your home. So we go through various barriers that you might think that there are and um, provide you that information during orientation. Then what happens is if you're interested in moving forward, the state does have quite a bit of paperwork and background checks that we have you do, but also there are classes that are 10 weeks long and you sign up to take foster parent classes that are one day a week. While you're doing those classes, you have the support of our home finding unit that helps you through the paperwork, helps you get through the classes. And the class isn't meant to be that when you get out of the class, you're like, yes, I am ready to foster and I know everything. It is meant to be, I now can make an informed decision if fostering is something that is right for me. So you're able to have all that information. And then after you finish the class, you're able to say, I'm interested in fostering one particular age range 
Maybe it's a large age range. Maybe it's just teens. Maybe it's just babies. Whatever it may be, we want you to be successful because we want the child to have stability. So we get to know each other and help you make a decision as to what's going to work best for your home. In 2020, then-Governor Andrew Cuomo signed into law to help more relatives and family members become caretakers to for abused and neglected kids. How has that uh, law impacted the system? So that has really helped us, and we've done a really great job most recently of getting kinship family. Kinship doesn't have to be somebody that's blood-related. It could be a teacher, a neighbor, somebody who was an aunt, or it can actually be those blood relatives in that family. So when a child's coming into care, we ask the parents, what resources do they have? Who do you have in your life that this child knows who this child will be comfortable with being in foster care while you are doing what you need to do? So we've been able to certify a lot of kinship resources so it keeps the children with the aunt, the uncle, the teacher, the friends that they know. So it's not so scary coming into care. The parents are able to do what they need to do in order to try to have the child return to their home. So it's really worked out great. It's better for the kids. It's better um, for the families. Everybody's more comfortable. And that has, we've increased those numbers tremendously in the last couple months. Um, when a child's coming in, it's really important that we look and see what resources. And then those families do have the same obligations as foster parents to take the classes, and they do become certified as well. We talked earlier about moving children out of the county and placing them in new environments they're not used to. So to have the opportunity to stay with a relative that they know and somewhere are comfortable with, I'm sure that's, that's, a, that's a great benefit. Yes, it has such a positive impact on the child as well as the parent. Mm. It is the parent's worst day when their child has to come into care. So to make it be a little bit more bearable, they know while I'm doing treatment, while I'm doing what I need to do in order to have my child back, they're with my sister or my aunt. That makes it so that these families can, these parents can focus on and, and heal and do what they need to do so that they know their child's safe and they're not worried as they would be if their child was with somebody that they did not know. So what is exactly is in place to support potential foster families? So we have, when a foster family takes on a child, you do get a team of, from our foster care units, a caseworker. We do have community-based services as well. So we have different partners who provide different services, such as child and family treatment support services. Um, so that means that the child has a worker that will come out and work with them and build skills, um, help them deal with some of the trauma. They have goals. We also have counseling that we put in place. You also receive a monthly room and board stipend to help take up some of the extra costs that you have because you do have another child in your home, as well as the child does have medical insurance while they are in foster care, so you're not taking that on either. Like you have this support system there, and you have these information sessions, like you mentioned, that folks can go to and sort of get more information um, and maybe walk away, like you said, um, either thinking this program is not for me or the opposite. This is exactly what I was looking for. Yeah, and I think that part of it is that sometimes people might think they can't be a foster parent for whatever reason and come attend the informational meeting with us, ask us questions. You might discover that what you are worried about is not really something to be worried about. And the biggest fear that people always tell me is, I don't want to become a foster parent because I'm going to become too attached and I'm never going to be able to let the child go. And I always say that those are the foster parents we want. 
we want the ones that are going to be attached because if you're going to be attached, that means that you are going to love that child and you are going to care for them and make sure their needs are met for the time that they're with you. And a lot of times the biological parents see this and they know that you're good people and that you really cared about their child and you get to keep in touch once the children return home. I've experienced a lot of that myself as a foster parent. I keep in touch with a lot of my children that went back to their families. So if that's your biggest reason and it scares you, then you should probably definitely get involved with us because we want people that are going to love these children during this hard time and help take care of them. If folks are interested in getting more information on getting involved, where can they go? Are there any information sessions lined up already? So you can go to the Sullivan County government page. That is www.sullivannewyork.us. And you can also give us a call directly to our home finding unit. It's 518-513-2389. Again, 518-513-2389. And we can set you up for an upcoming meeting or we can, they happen weekly or a one-on-one meeting, whatever it is that's going to work. Our next set of classes start in January, and we definitely have openings. We're definitely looking for more families. Absolutely. Ilani, before we go, is there anything else that we have not talked about you want folks to know? Yes. If there's anybody hearing this in community organizations where you're like, I'm not in a position to foster, but I still want to help, please invite us to your church to speak about foster care. Let us hang flyers at your business. Invite us to events. If you have anything going on where you feel that it's going to be a good audience to hear about foster care, to get the word out, please invite us. Let us know. We definitely want to continue to spread the word about the need for foster care and foster homes. We're talking to Leilani Voigtland, Director of Services for Sullivan County, talking about foster care program and the foster parents that are, are needed for the program. Thank you so much for joining us on the program. Thank you so much. Have a great day. For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio Rabayo. Thank you, Patricio. And finally, on the local edition tonight, we have a local author, Amy Ferris, author of Mighty Gorgeous, a little book about messy love. And uh, Val Mancy talked to uh, Amy Ferris recently. And here's that conversation now. I am looking at the cover of your book, Mighty Gorgeous, a little book about messy love. And it has this very delicious looking cupcake (laughs) smushed and it looks so good. And there it is smushed on the cover. And we're here to talk about this book, Mighty Gorgeous. I guess when you think about messy love, I thought it was about romantic love, but it really is about a much bigger issue around love and what love is. Absolutely. And it also, as a memoir, I was surprised that it was almost in like independent independent essays or vignettes or diary entries. You know, that was something that um, I thought long and hard about because mm. I had already written a memoir, Marrying George Clooney. Yes. Confessions from a Midlife mm. Crisis. And that was a full-on memoir. Okay. And so for a really long time, I had been posting on Facebook every single morning, this is what I know post-coffee, pre-wine. And they were little, you know, they were pieces of encouragement for people to read because I really believe that if we can champion and support and lift other people, their lives can change. And I know for me that that was something that for many years people would, you know, encourage me, right? 
Mm-hmm. And so I started posting on Facebook right at the same time that Marrying George Clooney came out because my publisher said that I needed a social media presence, which I knew nothing about. And I actually truly still know nothing about. You can't find me on a lot of social media sites. But I started writing these little, you know, like things about love, things about friendship. Um, And my publisher came to me a few years ago and said, you know, you've got so many people who follow you and you've got so many people who share you. Why don't you think about compiling a book of essays? And that kind of hit the mark for me. You know, um, some of these were in on Facebook. Some of them are brand new. Some of them I wrote, you know, over the last year. But I I love this little book. Well, it I was it. quite delightful to read, and um, it, although it's. Uh, very heart-wrenching in a number of ways. You're also to add a little bit of humor and levity to it. And above all, hope. I love your quote that hope is a muscle. You know, I don't think I'm the one who came up with that. Okay, okay. (laughs) Um, But it is certainly one of my very favorite. Hope is a muscle. Hope is something that we have to work at. You know, um, we're living in a really hard world. Yes. The world is filled with pain. The world is filled with hate. The world is filled with anger. Um, So to me, hope is something that you have to work at. You know, you have to work at it all the time. You have to work at, you know, the muscle of hope so that we can get through the days that are really rough right now. You you also talk about self-love as a part of that that process. Absolutely. You know, um, I'm always always shocked, Um, and even at myself, because it took such a long time, you know, to understand why we don't love our lives. Why Why don't we love who we are? Why are we waiting for people to love us, to give us permission to love our own lives? Um, that's something that I question a great deal. You know, um, when we say, oh, I really want that person to love me. I'm always curious now as to, do you love yourself? You know, what is it about your own life that you don't love? So these are just questions that come up for me a lot and came up for me a lot writing this book, especially self-love. Everything you're talking about in this book is very layered, and we have all made mistakes, and some of us have made very serious mistakes, painful mistakes, and we live with that. And you address ways to for us to live with that and love ourselves. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. You know, um, I dropped out of high school when I was 15 years old, and we're talking 50 years ago. And I, my dad took me to the airport and put me on a plane. But before he did that, he grabbed me and hugged me and he whispered, I can't make your mistakes for you. Wow. And that was such an enlightening and profound thing to say to a young girl. And he did. He said, I can't make your mistakes for you. And that 
in and of itself was I kind of feel like that gave me the permission to live my life and to understand that mistakes, I was going to make mistakes whether I dropped out of high school or not. We all make mistakes, mistakes. But I also look at mistakes as an opportunity to turn them into something really beautiful. I look at the mistakes that I made as a young girl and I use those mistakes to encourage other young women. I look at the mistakes I made when I was dating before I got married, and I think, oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Can, you know, it's like some mistakes we make and some we marry. Um, and, you know, I'm a firm believer that we are all the things. We are the shards and the pieces and the messiness of our life. And I defy anybody to say that they've never made a mistake or never did something that humiliated them or embarrassed them or hurt them. And I think that we're so, we're a culture that thrives on perfection. And I'm a person who thrives on imperfection. And I know that when I write about my mistakes, I there's, I feel like I'm shedding shame yes. because I'm sharing my story. I'm sharing a story that was awful, you know, something that I did when I was younger, something that I did that I was not proud of. And I feel like what I do by giving, by writing about that is that I give other people a safe place. Yes. Where uh, they could say, you know what, I made a mistake. And you know what, if this chick <laughs> can be who she is in the world, then I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the same. So essentially, you're also uh, addressing the issue that who we are today is the sum of all our experiences, and we can use those mistakes and tragedies and things to grow from and incorporate to be a more enlightened, self-loving person. Yes. I'm thinking of a friend's piece that you may or may not be familiar with, the Farm Arts Collective Decompositions. It's about a compost heap. Well, it's a metaphor for the person's life experience, Tanis Kowalczyk, who many of our listeners are familiar with. And in reading your book, it, it reminded me of that performance. That is wonderful. Thank you. That's very flattering. You're welcome. Can you talk a little bit about uh, women who write? Sure. Um, by talking about women who write, then I have to talk about my absolutely magnificent, brave, bold, audacious publisher, Brooke Warner. Um, Brooke is the publisher of She Writes Press. She was my editor at Seal Press, and... I can say that she is a woman who not only champions women's voices, but ignites women's voices. I'm really, really fortunate that back in 2007, she read something of mine and, you know, decided that I was someone to take under her wing. I, I think that there are so many important women's 
stories out there, and I think that there are so many important women's voices. And I know that for a really, really long time, you know, women were told to be quiet and sit in the background and mind their own business, but I'm awfully glad that we didn't pay attention to that. Me too. Me too. And I'm sure, I'm sure you are. And, you know, for example, I have a friend, Melissa Guyberson, who wrote a book called Late Bloomer, and it's all about her coming out late in life. And it's stunning. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. And 10 years ago, she would not have had the courage to write that. So I think that, I mean, obviously, I'm a real champion of women's voices, and I'm a real champion of women speaking up and standing up. I mean, my God, we birthed the world. (laughs) How can we be quiet, right? And I just think that there's, you know, even your voice, even what you do, these are, this is so important that, you know, we're heard, that we speak, that we share our stories, that we use our lives to inspire not only women of our age, but young girls yes. to not hide, you know, to come out. Like, you know, what Melissa did with her book and Christy Warren did with her book about being, you know, a firefighter in a world where it's mostly all men. These are the important stories they that are. we get to share. Yes, they are important stories, and, and you are someone who is also putting important stories out there, and I would like to thank you for that, and thank you for taking oh. the time to speak with us so we could share this with our listeners. Well, I'm just so delighted. I thank you for being a, a woman's voice in the world. Well, you are thank welcome. You. Thank you, Valerie Mancy, for that interview. Thank you for listening. This is the local edition. That's going to do it for the local edition. Thank you for listening. Do keep on listening at WJFFRadio.org online or here on air or just ask your smart device, your smart speaker to play Radio Catskill. Coming up at 7, we got the Laura Flanders Show followed by Trailer Talk. But up next, it's The Daily. It's Monday evening here on Radio Catskill Public Radio for the Catskills Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you so much.